so much of them. Think about it. He asked them to leave everything and follow him. He asked them to change the very way they live, to make him their master and their Lord. And they do that, but then he goes on to die. And now he's confusing them even after he's dead. What is this? The rawness of the stories is actually part of what makes them so convincing. If people were trying to fool us, trying to tell us someone had risen from the dead when they hadn't, they would have collaborated better. Instead, we have all the signs of something that has happened, something beyond anyone's imagination, and everyone is trying to understand what it means in real time. They're hemming and hawing between their own doubts and disbelief while unable to completely deny that something has happened. You know, from the beginning, the gospel is good news because it dares us to tell us things that we don't expect and things we're not inclined to believe and things we could never understand on our own. The resurrection of Jesus is real. It is not the spiritual experience of some people a long time ago, which means that we can also have spiritual experiences. It is the restoration of life to Jesus' dead, crucified, beaten body. What does it mean? Well, it means, first of all, that Jesus has become the king. He has become the king. This is what they did not have a category for, and neither do we, for that matter. We don't even like kings, do we? I have to tell you this because it was funny. Yesterday, Chris Peller, I warned him I was going to mention his name this morning. He sent me a meme of an old book titled Making Marriage Work by Henry VIII. <laughs> That's terrible, isn't it? Somebody needs to talk to Chris. Hey, in case you don't know, Henry VIII is the king who kept having wives executed because they didn't give him a son. But he used the church to justify it every time. Anyway, the point is, we don't like kings. We tend not to like them. Jews believed and still believe that God becomes king at the end of history. When he becomes king, all is consummated. All of time. But Jesus' resurrection means that he has become king in the midst of history. And in his kingship, he is graciously restoring human beings to God and human beings to themselves. To all their brokenness and confusion, to all their doubt and disbelief, he's forgiving you and restoring you to himself and to yourself. Our psalm has this verse in it that a lot of Christians are familiar with. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And I find that it's a verse Christians sometimes use to try to cheer themselves up. We sometimes say it through gritted teeth. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And sometimes one Christian uses it to another Christian to try to get them to cheer up, which is always a good idea, and you should always do that. But do you know the specific day that that verse speaks of? 
The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. We consider it amazing. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad. The day anticipated is the day of the messianic victory of the Lamb, the Lamb who was slain, beginning his reign. As we heard on Good Friday, he is the Lamb who was despised and rejected by men. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He bore our griefs. And on Sunday, he emerges from his shameful death, his bearing of sin, revealing the way of his cross to be the way of life and salvation. When it says that this is the day the Lord has made, it isn't speaking of one single day. It is a new age. It is the eighth day of the week, meaning that Christ has opened a portal within the world into a brand new era that will last forever. He is the cornerstone. He is the king. The resurrection means that Jesus is king. But what does that mean for you? It means that he is the only way through the tangled and meaningless maze of life in this world. He is the only way for you to find life in the tangled and meaningless maze of life in this world. If you seek any other way, you will lose yourself. It means that Jesus is king and that it's possible for us to live very busy lives that feel significant and make us prominent, but are utterly meaningless. If we do not follow Jesus as king, we live a meaningless life. The resurrection means that Jesus is king. And it also means that you are called to believe. That you are called to believe. Faith or belief in Jesus is not mainly a matter of evidence. In all the gospel stories of Jesus' resurrection, you find things of evidence to what's happened. The empty tomb. His grave clothes. But most often, those pieces of evidence are not the things that lead to faith. They might be a beginning, but they're not the end. Evidence alone does not lead people to faith. Faith cannot be proven. It must be chosen. And even then, it has to be chosen again and again. And the reason for this is that faith is innately relational. It is a matter of trust. And even more than that, it is a matter of love. The women in the story of Luke, in all the gospel stories of Jesus' resurrection actually, the women first go to the tomb. Before they've gone to the tomb, they first watched Jesus die an excruciating death. While all the men, by the way, ran away. We're not stereotyping here. It's just what happened. And then these women venture out in the early morning to care for his body. Listen, these women love Jesus above everything. They pursue Jesus over any being in heaven or on earth. 
persist in preferring a dead Jesus to any other man who lives. They love Jesus above everything. If you read all the resurrection stories, you will discover a pattern in them. That those who search for the Lord Jesus are unexpectedly found by him. They go searching, but he finds them. The women, they seek the crucified Christ, but they're to, to their surprise and their joy, they are found by a risen Christ. But everyone must seek him. You are called to believe, and the way to believe is you must seek him. You must seek him knowing that your life depends on him. That faith is not a matter of passivity or of some kind of neutral agnosticism. It's impossible to be neutral with regard to Jesus. You are with him or against him. When the women report what they've seen to the men, it comes off to the men as a fairy tale. But Peter is at least intrigued enough. He has at least one thread of hope. So he goes to see for himself. And in merely searching for Christ, his faith begins to bloom. Some of us, because of doubts, are afraid to go on a search for Christ. We're afraid that we'll be too fragile. We're afraid to make a leap of faith. But you must not worry about doubts, about whether they will disqualify your faith somehow, whether you will be strong enough in your belief. We're told that even if we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. So you must go on the search. You must take the plunge and the step of faith. Now, I do want to highlight that Luke calls us to believe in Jesus in a pointed and bold kind of way. We should be careful about stereotypes and genders, both in over-applying them and in resisting them entirely. But the challenge that Luke presents is undeniable. Luke has framed his gospel with men who do not believe in the work of God and women who do believe. At the beginning, it's an old man named Zechariah. He's told that his wife will bear a child in their old age. He perceives it as a fairy tale. It's impossible. He is silenced, while his wife Elizabeth and his niece Mary believe God. And they receive the promise. In the end of the gospel, the women are the first to seek Jesus and they're the first to believe, while the men are stubborn in their disbelief. Luke is keying in, I think, on a cultural reality, of, especially of his time, that women so often viewed as inferior and weak were more naturally willing to open themselves up to God. To a God who would love them by giving his life for them. Luke says that kind of weakness and openness is good. While men 
perceiving themselves as stronger, tend to be more stubborn and resistant toward a God who would give himself for them and say, without me, you have nothing. They're slower to listen. They're slower to pursue God. Luke is saying to women, do not despise your weakness. Don't despise your weakness. Your openness to God's salvation, your need of God's salvation. And he's saying to men, learn to be weak. Be okay with your weakness. Now I think something has happened in our world since this time. In a wonderful way, women have been given, have been lifted up. But in a rather sad way, sometimes the strength that men have displayed in the past is lifted up as the example of strength. And women's weakness is seen as inferior. But Luke is saying when it comes to the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that weakness is strength. Do not despise weakness, women or men. Weakness is necessary to life in the kingdom of God. Women and men at their best pursue the Lord Jesus together in their weakness and they share him with each other. So whether you are a man or a woman, whoever you are, you must seek the risen Christ and you must take a plunge of faith toward him. Abandon stubborn resistance and the need for independence. We must all become like a man who said, it is enough for me if Jesus lives. If he lives, I live, since my soul hangs on him. Can you say that? If he lives, I live, for my soul hangs on him. Faith is about a relationship of love. Love that has first been displayed by a God who came and took your sorrows and your griefs and laid his life down for you. And in showing you his, his love, he's asking you to come, to come to him and to trust that you will find life. Jesus is risen and he is the king. He is the only way that you will find through the tangled and meaningless maze of life in this world. The only way of life that you will find. And you are to believe in him. To let him become everything for you. Hallelujah. Christ is risen. Amen.